Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Spit it out, Clark. (laughs) Today, we get to start out with Krista reading your latest complaints about me in our weekly Clark Stinks segment. You know what else stinks? Data breaches. There's been a lot of confusion about settlements available, money being paid out. People are particularly confused about T-Mobile. Plus, there's a new payout from AT&T. I'm going to try to straighten this out for you so you understand what is actually going on behind the curtain and what you really need to worry about, which is not the money they might pay you, but what criminals might do to harm you. And I'll fill you in on that. But without further ado, it is time for Clark Stinks. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Okay, Clark, you stink like a forgotten pair of sweaty socks. You forgot to mention that Robinhood is now offering Roth IRA services and are matching 1% of your contribution for free. How can you forget this, Clark? This is supposed to be your favorite child. All jokes aside, thanks for everything you do. I'm 25 and I've already have accumulated 100K plus in my Roth retirement accounts. Wow. Thanks to your advice, Jay. Wow. Jay, thank you. And it is true. I've mentioned on TV about Robin Hood offering Roth IRAs, but have failed to mention that on the podcast. And thanks to you, it's now happened. So Robinhood is a company that's been going through kind of a rough patch as an organization, but I'm really, really happy that they are on the Roth IRA bandwagon since I'm the man from Roth. (laughs) As an urban planning enthusiast, I got so excited when Clark brought up induced demand and how spending so much money on widening and maintaining roads is unsustainable. I was hoping he would talk about how in many situations, public transportation is the solution. But then he went full on crazy. (laughs) Clark's idea is totally impractical for businesses and individuals who operate on their employers and customers' schedules and not theirs, which is almost everyone except for people like him who get to pick and choose when they get on the road. Come on, Clark. Academics who study this as their job all agree the common sense solutions are for increased public transit as well as better mixed zoning. That's from Brad. Brad, thank you. So why is it, as a public transit rider myself, and I love riding public transit, why is it that I don't talk about that when I talk about road use and how best to manage with cost being the signal that changes behavior. So a couple of things. So much of commuting is suburb to suburb or people who work in service businesses or something like that. And public transit does not fit the corridors or the density of the areas they travel from and to. And so public transit, the way so much of the country is developed, is not truly 
applicable because of how spread out people are and how auto-dependent so many land use developments have been around much of the country. Now, as far as what you said about the pricing being a signal and that it's unfair to so many people, the reality is an enormous amount of driving is discretionary about time of day and even if people take the trip. So the idea of tolling every lane is the tolls would be much lower than you might imagine because they would suppress demand during times that so many people could say, you know what, I think I'll go at 9.30 and do that instead of 8.45. Or I'll do that at 6 instead of 4.30 in the afternoon. So price absolutely modifies behavior. Regarding tolls on the freeway, I call those lanes the expense account lanes for the wealthy, and I just can't believe that we have implemented this discriminating practice. You have lost touch with the low income. Stay in your lane, poor people. I worry about single moms or low-wage earners that need to be at work or daycare on time. Who needs that lane more than a struggling single parent that needs to pick up their child from daycare or pay a huge penalty if they're late? People can barely pay for gas, let alone a $10 fee to be in the lane they need more than anyone. So sad when I see those empty lanes built for the well-to-do people on an expense account with no limit. What do you propose for the poor? Carol. Carol, thank you. And any policy you do always has unintended consequences. The problem with the hot lanes, the toll lanes, that are built, also referred to many times as Lexus lanes and transportation planning, is that you spend a fortune, hundreds of millions of dollars or more, building these separate lanes that then if you look over, you see how empty they are most of the time because of how high the toll goes. That's why my idea, instead of building those, you toll all lanes, you end up with a much lower toll Traffic flows a whole lot better, and people who don't have to be on the roads then don't go at that time. So you use price as a way to manage traffic flow, and I know it seems like it would be abusive of people that are lower income, but it means they would be on the road a whole lot less time, and they would have more flexibility in their lives. We have not tried this anywhere except two corridors in Southern California. But the tolls are much lower when the whole road is tolled that way than when you have the separate lane for the Lexus drivers and Mercedes and Tesla or whoever else. You do not stink, and I really appreciate your podcast. I just wanted to let you know I tried following your advice to not put up our flag on the mailbox just in case someone tried to steal a check or whatever we're trying to mail. My husband and I tried this out. We put our bill in with a check in our mailbox and left our flag down. The mailman just stuffed all our new mail on top of our letter and didn't take it. So it looks like we'll be using our flag, Shannon. Shannon, okay. So that was old advice about not raising the flag. What I say now is don't leave outgoing mail, particularly anything that has a check in it, in your mailbox. Put it in a secure box at a post office. The reason is criminals are specifically trying to get your checks because they can take your check and use it to duplicate your account numbers, which are on the bottom, and then write checks as if they're you with a fake ID 
and then you've got a mess and a half on your hands. So know that checks are not a secure form of payment because it is so easy for criminals to commit crimes that are virtually crimes that are never caught, and you're the one who's got big hassles, including the potential of being arrested because somebody's writing bad checks on your account. It's an amazing thing. Okay, many about this topic as well. I'm going to read two of them. Clark recently promoted using the pay-at-the-table QR code for settling a restaurant bill. The fee to use this code is more than 5% of the bill. They should be discounting the customer when using, not adding a fee when it helps them out. And that's Wait, who's R. charging a fee? I haven't seen that before. R did not say. I haven't seen it either, but I'm going to watch for it for sure. I've never seen a fee for settling your bill by paying at the table. Why would somebody do that at a restaurant? Fees, fees, fees. Uh, your comments about loving new, the new human replacing robots and automated checkout kiosks at restaurant tables stink worse than the time my child left his milk cup in my car in August. I've oh, been there. that I've smells there. bad. Worse. Oh, man, you leave milk in a vehicle in summer? Yeah. Oh. Yep. Sippy cups. Respectfully and vehemently disagree. Robots replace jobs and wages for actual people. Similarly, I loathe self-checkout in stores. If I have to check myself out, I deserve a 10% discount or something. Plus, again, jobs are being eliminated for cashiers. Save the worst for last. I don't go out to dine in a restaurant, especially a nice one, to have a machine thrust in front of me or at the table to replace a server. We like talking to our servers and the human interaction. We also refuse to use our phones to pull up a menu or order from. Not doing it. If I want to see a robot with a personality, I'll watch my beloved Star Trek, Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you. All right, so the robotics that are coming into industry, that are coming into retail, that are coming into restaurants, are coming because we are an aging population. And I think about the robots that are coming to assist the elderly because we have such a shortage of home health aides and people who can or choose to work in assisted living or nursing homes. This is only coming about because if you look at the graying of the U.S. population, we have a severe shortage of younger workers who normally fill all these jobs. So if I'm a business owner and I want to provide service to people, I have to look at automation as a way to provide service to people. And I know you love the human touch, the high touch kind of experience of interacting with the human. So do I. I'm a very much a people person. But I understand in business that we have customers to serve and the service standards decline if we can't find enough workers to provide that service. And particularly the stuff with the elderly you're going to see more and more automation connected to providing care to the elderly because if we don't do it, we're going to have tragic occurrences with older people who are infirm that can be avoided, prevented because of the new technologies, the new robotic type devices. I heard Clark's explanation of financing a car for no more than 42 months. I would not say that advice stinks, but I want to add some perfume to make it smell a little better. My dad taught me a trick over 30 years ago. He said, buy a car and finance it for a length of time that is half of what you think the car will last. 
You make the payments to the finance company for 42 months until the car is paid for. Then you continue making payments for the next 42 months into your own savings account. At the end of the 84 months, you will have at least enough for a really good down payment on a new car. You pay for the car and then make it pay you back, Ken. I love that from Ken. Thank you, Ken. Then this one's from Steve in Michigan. You say the longest auto loan term should be 42 months. Over the years, I've purchased more than five cars with 0% 60-month auto loans through a credit company. I do not disclose my method of payment until I've negotiated the car's price. I'm getting a free loan of the money. Why not get the longest possible loan term? Even if the loan is underwater, I've been given a free loan for that time. I suppose I could set aside money each month to make a payment equal to 42-month loan, but I think that's silly. You know, five years, uh, 0% interest, it's really hard to argue with that. So if that's worked for you, you're not worried about going through a period of months where you're going to be upside down on the loan, I can't believe I'm going to say it. What you're doing is okay. Clark, I just said a 60-month loan in that situation was green-lighted. I can't believe that. I know. Clark, you stink, and here is why. You told your listeners to decline rental car auto coverage if your auto insurers covers it. I was in L.A. and rented a car for five days. I did sustain a dent that was bigger than a $1 bill. If I claim this on my auto insurance, the rates would go way up. You are self-insuring for any damage under $3,000 to $5,000 when you rent. I play it safe and pay the very high daily rates for peace of mind. Practically speaking, when you consider you're not going to make the claim, but the rental car place wants the cars exactly as you rented, go with high daily coverage. I don't travel that much. Sean. Sean, thank you. And I would say you got to follow my two steps. One, find out first if you're covered for temporary use of a rental car by your own auto insurance. Most of us are. And then the second thing is I want you to rent that car with a credit card that provides coverage that layers on top of your auto insurance. There are a handful of credit cards that provide primary coverage, which means situation you're talking about with a dent in the vehicle, you never involve your own automobile insurance. It is your credit card as primary that steps in and takes care of that. That is much cheaper to have one of those cards that provide primary coverage, not secondary, but primary, layered on top of your own insurance instead of paying the rip-off daily fees to the car rental company for their pseudo-semi-insurance. Clark, you don't stink, but your stereotyping of older bosses demanding employees return to the workplace after being virtual during COVID sure does. Several of my colleagues of the mid to younger generation thrive on the collaborative team building environment that working in person does with renovated offices that remove walls and lowered cubicle heights, making room for a flow of ideas and solution. This is typically not in the older boss playbook. The work from home option was there in part to keep people employed during a global health crisis, not a promised future way of doing business. Ron. Ron, thank you. All right. So this is something Krista and I have talked about a lot. And that is, what disservice are you doing to people that are new in the workforce that are young in their 20s when they work only from home? And there is a loss to them losing the ability to learn from other people who they're with day to day in person. So a lot of employers are going to the hybridization where you're in the office three days a week, two days a week, you can work from home. And I think there is virtue in that. We've decided in our company 
to allow people to continue to work 100% work from home. And we may find down the road that was a mistake. But to this point, it feels right, doesn't it? It does. I mean, we also offer... Uh, you know, gatherings. We've always had employees in different states too that have worked from home. So it wasn't a big shock to our, our system. You know, there's some of us that come in and collaborate during the podcast, but generally people can do their jobs from anywhere. And then we offer, you know, we have meetings in whatever town we decide to have them in, or we do the yearly staff trips that you take us on. And I think that's very helpful too, to get together with everyone. And okay. Clark smells like aged fondue when he talks about people not paying off their house. It makes me cringe a bit when he says, don't pay off your house if it's 4% or less interest. He fails to mention this makes sense only if you invest the money. And that's from Nate. Nate, thank you. Right now, though, you can earn more than 4% on simple savings, making it a less efficient thing to do. But again, paying off a house has enormous psychological benefits for people. It may not be the absolute optimal thing to do with your money, but the value of being able to be in the one-third, roughly, of Americans who own their homes free and clear is really great. Okay, one more quick one that a lot of people wrote in about. Not totally a stink, but a chance to point out a unique feature of the iPhone. A caller asked if there was a good way to protect an iPhone in a situation that the waiter or sales clerk absconds with their phone to process a digital gift card or credit card, etc. iPhone does, in fact, have a feature for just this purpose. The steps are a little involved, and a video walkthrough does it the most justice. But search for iPhone Guided Access Setup. This feature will d- does exactly what the caller asked. You get a set up guided access ahead of time, then open up whatever app you want them to have and push the lock button three times quickly. It gives them only access to the app you had open when you put it in guided access. Think giving your phone to a stranger to take a picture, giving your phone to a friend to show them something, giving a merchant your phone to take out of your site. And that's from Tim and many others. Tim and many others, thank you very much. Was not aware you could do that. Uh, The big thing that's been going on with this is people stealing money from your bank account when they're temporarily in possession of your phone. They Venmo or cash out themselves. Right. So this is a, a wonderful way to protect yourself with your phone. And Google challenges up for you to make this kind of feature available on Android as well. And then we'll hear from Android people when it already exists. Yep. But not that I know of. I'll check it out. All right. Speaking of cell phones, straight ahead, data breaches involving AT&T and T-Mobile and a lot of questions about money that may or may not be available to you. We're going to talk about that. Plus, what my real worry is for you from the problems that AT&T and T-Mobile have had protecting your personal information. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. 
so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. So people are getting confused about the settlements that have been offered to AT&T folks and T-Mobile. T-Mobile having had two data breaches, and now Google Fi is involved in the latest data breach, and there was a prior data breach. A lot of confusion about seeking claim money. The original one's over. If you didn't claim money in the T-Mobile thing, it's done. The AT&T thing, it's not about data breach. It's about ripping you off on supposed unlimited data plans. AT&T reached a settlement where they are paying people back money. Most people eligible for reimbursement have already gotten it. You had to be on an unlimited plan. You have to have been a long, long, long-term AT&T customer, 2011 to 2015. If you are still an AT&T customer and you were one of the people who they uh, misled on unlimited data, you automatically should have by now received a UFO credit on your AT&T bill. And you're wondering, why did I get this money? You got it because they had promised you something they didn't give you back last decade. If you were with AT&T 2011 to 2015, you were eligible for reimbursement because you got to ask for it. There's a simple form that you fill out and you have until May of this year to file a claim at ftc.gov slash AT&T. Now, the most recent data breach affecting T-Mobile plus the prior one means that your account is at serious risk of takeover, your SIM, your entire account, by a crook. Because enough information is floating out there, particularly on T-Mobile customers, that a crook can pretty easily trick T-Mobile into allowing them to hijack your service, which is the key step to a criminal who has key personal information of yours, being able to empty out your bank account, your retirement account, your brokerage account, your mutual fund account, whatever, because they all rely on the crutch of two-factor authentication, usually with the text coming from your phone. So that's why what seems like just noise actually matters a lot. And T-Mobile, if you sign into your account, they have a thing you can click on for account takeover protection. It's a pretty quick process to set it up. And it puts additional steps in place to prevent one of these hackers, one of these criminals, from being able to kidnap, hijack your cell phone service for their ultimate purpose, which is to steal all your hard-earned money that you've worked hard to save over the years. This is a process you should do. It's really, really easy at T-Mobile's website. If you find it difficult, you can go into a T-Mobile store and they can set up these protections for you on your account. Krista, time for questions. What you got for me? Um, Megan in Alabama says, my daughter just got engaged and is planning her wedding for spring next year. We have to plan ahead so that we can get the venue, wedding dress, coordinator, caterers, flowers, photographer, DJ, etc., and most require deposit or full payment. We're trying to minimize costs and yet provide her the best for her special day. With that being said, we're going to have to borrow the money 
because we don't have it in savings. We have an emergency fund, but don't want to use it. It wouldn't be enough anyway. Where would the best place be to take out a loan during this economy? My husband said he could borrow against his retirement, but would rather not. Please provide us some direction. (sighs) Megan, I'm a parent of three children, two daughters, and what I have to say I'm going to be very careful how I say this. I don't want you and your husband to borrow, spend, borrow, spend on the wedding. There's too much financial risk to you and your husband moving forward. I know it may be traditional that the bride's parents pay for a wedding, but it's actually much more common today that the bride and groom pay for their own wedding. And there is not any requirement that you have to put on a expensive wedding that would, for those hours of that wedding, uh, you'd feel great, but you'd have a financial hangover for years. I would prefer for you and your husband to have a chat first. And then if you're willing to do so, sit down with your daughter and her intended And just be honest that you don't have the money to fund the wedding. You know, I don't know the reaction of your daughter and her intended, if they will be uh, supportive of that, if they will be upset. But the reality is I don't want you to bury yourself into a mountain of debt. When you tell me you're trying to figure out where do you borrow in a slowing economy or should your husband take out a loan from a 401k, Or exceeds their emergency fund. Yeah, or wipe out the emergency fund. All of that just, I'm not comfortable with it. So I think it's reasonable to have a conversation with both of them, your future son-in-law and your daughter, about the financial reality. And what matters is that the two of them love each other and that they get to have a great life together. The rest is just details. And know this, that actually, apparently, there's data backing it. The fancier the wedding, the shorter the marriage. (laughs) So it really is all about the genuineness of the love one has for the other. And there's so many. I mean, your daughter did an amazing thing. When she got married, she chose to get married on a day that people usually don't get married. She did so many things to save money. There been Joel, who has his own podcast now, but it was on the team forever. He had a beautiful wedding. Instead of buying flowers, his wife was so crafty. They made these beautiful paper flowers. There's so much out there right now on Pinterest and everywhere else about how to do weddings that are beautiful, but without a lot of money that hopefully they can get creative. So what I did uh, when my daughter got married, I gave Rebecca and my future son-in-law, Travis, I said, here's an amount of money. You do with it what you want. And they chose to have a very, very low budget wedding and use most of that money for a down payment on a house. And they're really happy with the choice they had. And I thought their wedding was was beautiful, really beautiful and very affordable and not fancy. Okay, Alex in Maryland says, how can I get the best deals on hotel rooms? Well, that's pretty wide <laughs> pretty open, wide, isn't it? But, you know, it's almost summer. Well, it's not almost summer, but, you know, we'd like to think of You'd summer. You'd like to think You're that planning. in the middle of winter, it's still almost summer. Good for you. <laughs> We're getting there. We're almost at the halfway point of winter. Okay. 
So days are getting longer. That is true. Oh man, I when it's around December twentieth and it's the shortest days of the year, I can't stand the darkness. Anyway, we digress. So hotels historically I've had a huge bias for Priceline. I have an entire guide to how to use Priceline to save the most on hotels. But coming out of the pandemic, Priceline no longer has an exclusive, in my mind, on the best deals. I still find most of the best deals on Priceline, but not always. One thing I want to make sure you're aware, there are a lot of really sketchy hotel sites out there now. If it's not a well-known and recognized hotel booking site, do not use it because the problems people have had when they get to hotels, we don't know who you are and all that. There are just a lot of thieves out there pretending to be hotel booking services. I think that uh, hotels.com is a good outlet. And I like what I do is I open them in two different windows and I look at both hotels.com and Priceline. If you're going outside the United States, bring in a third player that is the parent company of Priceline called Booking.com, and you compare side-by-side-by-side Hotels.com, Booking.com, and Priceline.com to see what is going to be your best deal. The worst deal, uh, about 100% of the time, maybe 99.8% of the time, is going to a hotel's own booking site. And there you're going to pay what they'll call a discount, but is actually full retail. You get the discounts from the third-party booking sites. I would also add that if you have a credit card that offers, you know, it's like a travel credit card, you can look at their booking engine too. Oh, you use Chase. I use American Express and Chase. So I always check those too. And I actually recently got a better deal on Amex. Uh, We stayed the same chain twice. I got a better deal on Amex with one of the stays. So I booked through them. It gave us a free upgrade and breakfast and all that and late checkout. But I, the hotel had a deal that nobody else had for this other night at the same chain. So I booked through this. So it does take work. You have to look a lot, right? Right. Okay. David in Texas says, beware of Costco. Ooh, Sacrilege. that's like beware of the Ides of March, getting closer mm, to your spring kind yes, of thing. March 15th. My wife and I spent almost an hour and a half today to sign up after we've heard Ooh. so many good things about Costco for years. We gave them all our personal information. When it was time to pay for our $120 membership, we found out they don't take MasterCard. Our credit is frozen, so we left feeling highly annoyed. Please let the public know they only take Visa. We'll stay with Sam's and Aldi. So uh, they will also take a debit card, piece of trash, fake Visa, or fake MasterCard. Why does Costco only take Visa and BJ's Wholesale and Sam's Club take a variety of cards? Costco has such a large and affluent member base that they were able to go to first for years American Express and then in recent years Citibank and they were able to hold them over a barrel and they said, hey, You want our customer base, you're going to have to really treat them well and treat us well. And so they pay big money at Citibank and Visa to be the only card accepted at Costco. What's funny is that's a United States thing. Uh, You know, now you can shop as a Costco member at any Costco anywhere in the world. You go to another country and they only take MasterCard. 
and you go to another country, they only take American Express. It's just whoever they are able to negotiate the best deal with. While we're at it, the Costco Visa card is a really good card to carry. And if you feel like it would be okay to thaw your credit at some point, and any Costco member applying for that Costco City Visa card, you get 3% cash back on all restaurant meals, 3% on virtually all travel, 2% in Costco, 2% at Costco.com, 4% on gasoline, and a measly 1% anywhere else. You should do a world tour of Costco's. Like maybe we should give an itinerary on the website. <laughs> I've only been to Costco in three countries. Oh. I need to get with the program and go to any country in the world. Yeah. Some people that do like Costco. baseball stadium tour. They try to hit like one in every state. You should do that with Costco. I'm oh. up for the challenge. Okay. You think I, Lane's not going to be into that though? No, I think you might have to take one of your brothers on that one. <laughs> And which one would be stupid enough to do that itinerary? (laughs) Oh, man. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And don't forget, the sun never sets on Clark.com or ClarkDeals.com. We serve you around the clock. Winter, spring, summer, fall, 365 days this year. We are at your service. Next year, though, we're working overtime. 366 days with advice you can trust. Have a great day.